0: Hello, and welcome to the European Vascular Podcasts. My name is Carlota Fernández-Prendez. And my name is Agla Cavalloni. This month's Editor's Choice is a systematic review of the use of endo-anchors in endovascular aortic aneurysm repair by Thai, Kambawi, and colleagues.
1: Endo-anchors were developed as adjuncts to prevent or treat type 1A endo-leaks. Endograft migration after endovascular aortic aneurysm repair, and specially directed the challenging proximal necks. They can and have been used in primary EVAR and TVAR procedures, and also secondary interventions. What was precisely the objective of this meta-analysis?
0: The authors evaluated the effectiveness and safety of endoanchor fixation by reviewing the available evidence in EVAR and TVAR. Current data relies heavily on the ANCHOR registry, the largest ongoing multicenter trial using the LEFIX endo-ANCHOR system. But the authors aim to give a broader perspective, evaluating all existing data up to June 2019. How did the authors gather the data? They performed a structured literature search in Medline, Embase, and Cochrane databases up to the 20th of June of 2019 with no language restrictions. They followed the PRISMA guidelines and assessed study quality with the Newcastle-Ottawa tool. They selected original cohort studies of patients who underwent EVAR or TVAR with endoanchor fixation and which included the outcome measures the authors wished to analyze. Out of a total of 195 initially screened articles, they eventually selected 14 for data extraction. Six are prospective multicenter cohorts, three are prospective unicenter, and the other five are retrospective single center observational studies. They all used the helifix device, except for one prospective single center study, which used the anson refix device. Seven EVAR and three TVAR studies were included in this meta-analysis.
1: So, what are the outcome variables the authors chose to analyze?
0: They are technical success in endo-anchor deployment, number of patients with type 1A endoleak and graft migration, aneurysm-related reinterventions, reinterventions for endo-anchor failure, endo-anchor adverse events, and all-cause 30-day mortality. These results were evaluated for three different groups EVAR with primary fixation, EVAR with secondary fixation, and TVAR.
1: And how many patients does this study include?
0: It includes 628 patients, 455 of whom underwent primary fixation after EVAR, 107 secondary EVAR fixations, and 66 were used in TVAR.
1: Okay, let's start then with the results of EVAR with primary fixation, the largest group. What were the patient's
0: characteristics? The mean age of the patients was 73.8 years, and the proportion of men was 84.7%. Indications for endo-anchors were prophylaxis against endoleak or graft migration in 84%, treatment of intraoperative endoleak in 15%, and intraoperative distal graft maldeployment to achieve an adequate sealing zone in 1%. A few patients underwent additional adjunctive proximal procedures like cuff extensions, bare stents, or chimneys. The mean proximal neck diameter was 25.2 mm, with a range from 22.9 to 27.5 mm. The mean neck length was 15.4 mm, with a range from 7.8 to 23 mm, and the mean angulation was 27.6 degrees, with a range from 22.2 to 33.1. In other words, there were standard necks that met eye-view criteria in almost all of the cases. Follow-up was available in 288 patients, with a mean of 15.4 months.
1: What were the results
0: in this group? Technical success was 98.4%, with deployment of a mean of 5.5 endo-anchors per patient. Mean procedural time was 136.5 minutes, with a total of 18 minutes allocated for endo The type 1A endoleak rate on completion angiography was 2.1%, and increased to 3.5% at the end of the follow-up. Interestingly, the rate was 2.8% when the endostapling was done purely for primary prophylaxis, and 8.2% when the indication was an intraoperative type 1a endoleak. The rate of late graft migration was 2%. The aneurysm reintervention rate was 30%, with almost 90% of these being reported from one single study using the aptus endograft. There were only three reinterventions due to endoanchor failure. Authors also report on aneurysm sac changes in a total of 196 patients. Of these, 55.3% presented a decrease greater than 5 mm. There was no change in 43.5%, and sac diameter increase greater than 5 mm was observed in 1.4% of patients.
1: So, the use of endoanchors in this primary setting. Seems fairly safe according to the data, but is it effective?
0: The available evidence does not prove this to be the case. This pooled observation data has obtained a 3.5% rate of type 1a endoleaks after a mean follow up of only 15 months, whereas pooled data from the classical randomized trials and recent registries of EVAR without endostapling offer rates of 2.7 to 4.8% of late type 1a endoleaks offhand there doesn't seem to be a significant difference and if this is the case endostabling does not provide a net clinical benefit but does add very importantly to the cost the recent nice guidelines have flagged the relevance of cost effectiveness in our clinical decisions and the world crisis due to the covid pandemic shows us how critical cost containment is going to be so Current evidence does not support the use of endo-anchors in primary EVAR within IFU. The debate of using endo-anchors in challenging necks in EVAR out of or in the extreme IFU is even more complex, as it involves questioning whether EVAR should be used out of IFU at all. A definite answer to the question of whether endo-anchors add protection from type 1 endo-leaks can only be answered with a specifically designed and powered randomized controlled trial, and none are available at the moment. Regarding the primary prevention from graft migration, I wonder, does endo-stapling really have a role with the current endograft designs which include proximal hooks? Aren't these and strict IFUs enough to prevent migration?
1: Okay, let's move on to the second group. Evar with secondary
0: endostapling. What can you tell us about this group? The one hundred and seven patients in this group were seventy-four point one percent men, notice more women than in the previous group, with a weighted mean age of seventy-seven point four years, slightly older than the previous. The indications for endostapling were endoleak alone in fifty-six percent of the cases, migration alone in eleven percent, and a combination of endoleak and migration in 33%. Mean aneurysm neck diameter was 28.3 mm, with a range of 28.3 to 30.2 mm, and length of 13.4 mm, with a range of 10.8 to 16.1 mm. Neck length was good, but all necks were ectatic or aneurysmatic, which helps explain the local complications. Follow-up was available in only 74 patients, with a mean of 10.7 months. And what were the results in this group? Technical success for this procedure was 91.8%, with a mean of 6.1 endo-anchors implanted per patient. Rates of type 1a endoleak at completion and follow-up were 19.7% and 22.6%, respectively, and no cases of graft migration were observed. Interestingly, again, the rate of late type 1a endoleak was 39.3% when the indication for endo stapling was a type 1a endoleak alone, and 6.6% when it was a combination of type 1a endoleak and migration. There were 13 aneurysm-related reinterventions and 8 reinterventions for endo anchor failure. So, the endo-anchors helped seal roughly 60% of the type 1a endo-leaks they aimed to treat, but failed in 40% of the cases. They were very successful, in contrast, in the 12 cases of migration. Of note, follow-up is only available for 7 of these patients. Again, the data raises doubts about whether endo-anchors are the right approach for the treatment of type 1a endo-leaks. And again, only head-to-head comparison of different options in a randomized controlled trial can definitely answer the question.
1: What were the specific endo-anchor complications in the cohort of EVAR patients, and what was their overall short-term mortality?
0: In the total of 562 EVAR patients, there were 3 endo fractures, 3 endo-anchor dislocations, one case of endoanchor entrapment, and one case of common iliac artery dissection caused by wire manipulation. All caused 30 day mortality for the whole cohort was 0.82%.
1: Finally, we move on to the last group, the T patients. What can you tell us about them?
0: Only 66 T patients underwent endoanchor fixation forty four percent as a primary procedure forty seven percent secondary and nine percent indeterminate the mean age was sixty eight point five years clearly younger than the previous two groups and the proportion of males was sixty four point five percent much lower than in the others the mean number of endo anchors deployed was seven point one of interest alongside proximal fixation endo were also deployed distally in all of the studies the weighted mean follow-up was 9.8 months. The technical success of endo-anchor deployment was 90.3%. The overall rate of type 1a endoleaks was 8.7% at follow-up. No endoleaks were observed in the patients undergoing primary fixation, 3% were observed in patients undergoing secondary fixation, and 33%, 2 out of 6, were observed in indeterminate patients. There were no graft migrations, and there were nine reported aneurysm reinterventions. What about the
1: specific endoanchor complications in the TVAR cohort? And what was their overall short
0: term mortality? Endoanchor related adverse events included two multiploid endoanchors. In one patient, the endoanchor was irretrievable, resulting in a retrograde type A aortic dissection and death. There were no other endoanchor related deaths. The weighted all-cause 30-day mortality in this group was 11.9%. How can we interpret the data in this group? The available evidence is very scarce, derived from only 66 patients in observational studies, so no meaningful conclusions can be drawn. The patients were younger, the technical success lower, one patient died due to the endosabling use, and follow-up is relatively short. Thoracic aortic repair has shifted completely from open to endovascular, so IFU criteria may be slightly less strict than they should be for abdominal aortic disease, where open repair can still be considered a first-line treatment modality. So, innovation and improvement of technology is more than welcome in this setting. Yet caution is mandatory as we learn from the data that thoracic complications of endostapling can be lethal. Though they may be used as an adjunct in selected patients, their general use should be avoided until more data is readily available.
1: To finish off,
0: let's take a look at the current
1: guidelines. The 2019 ESVS clinical practice guidelines on the management of aorta-iliac aneurysms specifically recommend against the use of new techniques or concepts like endostaples in clinical practice Indicating that they should only be used with caution, preferably within the framework of studies approved by research ethic committees, until a larger body of evidence and longer follow up are available. And the 2017 ESVS guidelines on the management of descending thoracic aorta diseases
0: do not allude to endoingers at all. That's right, and the present study is not likely to change this recommendation in the short run. We will be on the lookout for more data in the future.
1: Thank you, Carlotta, for a great discussion. The full paper is available in the European Journal of Vascular and Endovascular Surgery, Year 2020, Volume 59, Issue 5, pages 748 to 756.
0: Thank you, Agil. I look forward to our next podcast. It will be coming soon. Have a great week, everyone. Bye. Bye.